This is David McCall, host of the QTS Experience Podcast. Every idea on the internet lives in a data center. And as we create and innovate more, we create more data, which means larger data centers. As you can imagine, this growth is putting a strain on our power grid, especially when we want to be good stewards of energy consumption and work towards a carbon-free future. Data centers require a steady stream of power called baseload that is always available. Solar and wind are intermittent power sources, meaning that they do not produce power all of the time. When data centers switch to renewable energy, they could take baseload off the grid, which can destabilize it in extreme cases. It's quite a challenge to meet the energy requirements of the modern economy and also work to reduce or eliminate carbon. And that's why this week I'm joined by Travis Wright, an energy and data center expert who helps us walk through the challenges ahead of us and possible solutions on the next QTS Experience. The most valuable commodity on earth today is data, how we make it, use it, move it, and protect it. My name's David McCall. Join me today for the QTS Experience. Travis, welcome back. Thank you, sir. Appreciate you you having me back. Um, well, I'm really excited about this conversation. Why don't we start with, you know, we're a data center company and we have an energy group. We do. And that is not common in data center companies, although more and more are coming around to that idea and making some inroads or attempts to do something like that. Can you start off with why is it that we have an energy group at a data center company and how that came to be? Yeah, let me uh, let me let me start by talking a little bit about how how it came to be. Okay. Way back in in 2014, I, I joined QTS and I, I started as a site director in our Dallas facility, which was a fantastic, amazing experience. Mm -hmm. Absolutely love the people there. Love the site. I, I keep going back there, and it's like my family. Right. right. Um, while I was the site director there, um, I. I started to manage utilities not just for our site, but also for a couple of the others, uh, Chicago and Piscataway, and and then the Fort Worth site started up. And so, I started taking a little bit of a larger role in utility planning, which, by the way, is a really really cool thing about QTS. Where if you have a passion about something, and for me it was energy, right. you get to carry that across the company. Right. And and get to go do stuff that is your passion, right? And and so I started doing that, and it was it was turning out pretty good. Um, we we're getting some really uh, worthwhile renewable contracts signed. Um, we got uh, um, we got things kind of straightened out in a couple of the other facilities, and so anyway, it was a good deal. Mm -hmm. um, and then in 2018, our board of directors came to our CEO and said, "You know, there's this sustainability thing going on. We probably ought to." wrap our arms around it. We know you're doing a bunch of great stuff. Let's let's put a solid program in place and just make sure we're we're covering our bases and, right. and keeping up to speed. And so yeah. uh, it was at that time that that Chad came to me and said, "Hey, do you want to do this energy thing for Chad the whole being company?" Chad our CEO. Our CEO, yeah. Right. Uh, do you want to do that for the whole company and and oh by the way, there's a sustainability thing that I, I'd like for you to to go figure out as well and right. let's let's go let's go build one of those. And so uh, so love it, yeah, absolutely. Let's right. go do that. And and as much as it pained me to to leave the wonderful family that that we had created in in Dallas, uh, this was really a passion of mine, and so I wanted to move forward. Well, there I've got a comment, and then or a question, and then a comment. I guess the qu the comment is 
At the same time, uh, I was in a um, solution engineering role during a lot of that time, or a leadership role in the solution engineers. And we began to notice this big shift from give us your philosophy around renewable energy or green energy, uh, your philosophy around um, efficiency, uh, because you guys are going to be, you know, we're some of the largest consumers of power on earth. And so how are you being good stewards of that? And, and in the beginning, the RFPs or RFQs or just conversations were sort of philosophical, but they quickly became from the largest buyers on earth. No, we want to see a we want to see a program we want, and they're kind of finding their way during this time kind of to, um, to define what that looked like for themselves and their own facilities. And then later in their partners, the people who also provide services for them. So this was sort of going on along with the board coming to say something to you and the, um, our customers, this was becoming very important to some of them. And, um, and so you got the people that you talked about, our board, our CEO, yourself were like, so how do we how do we embrace this? How do we take off with this? And also, oh, by the way, so that we can be good stewards, not just a competitive um, decision in the marketplace, but it's really important for us to be good stewards of that. My com or my um, so that's my comment. My question is, how much when you were site director, which means you're responsible for all of the operations, the facility operations of a data center, a DFW, how big at the time was the capacity of that? Um, site because a lot of people that are listening to this they may have a vague idea of what a data center is a lot of our listeners are not data center people but they don't really have an, a, a comprehension of the size of um power that you're responsible either there or sort of in that larger portfolio that you were responsible for what what's the magnitude of that yeah well so that site specifically um was about 20 megawatts of load okay and um, so that's, you know, about the load of about 5,000 homes. So okay. you would imagine a very, a, a small city maybe, right. um, kind of thing and, and probably not even that much. It's not, not a, not an enormous load, but it's right. not, not inconsequential. It's right. a, it's a decent sized load. So we were out signing contracts that were covering that, that specific load. Um, you know, looking back, the stuff we're doing today, which we'll go over in a little bit here yeah. is, is orders of magnitude larger, much, much larger. And as you started to bring up, the industry, our customers and QTS started to recognize how big of an impact we have on the world. We have enormous, huge loads. I mean, ridiculous things that all the utilities look at us and scratch their head. And they're like, wait, what? You're doing, you're doing what? Right. And, and it, it becomes things that they have to go solve for that they never have before. Right. And so... We recognized this in 2018 that um, we can be leaders not just in our own industry, but we can be leaders for other industries as well. We can go out and do some really cool, great things because we're in this position of having enormous, huge um, flat loads uh, in not a whole lot of um, sites. You know, So we've got big loads in, in a small number of sites, and so that makes it more manageable. Okay. And we can roll this ball forward and get really interesting contracting um, methods and things things that people normally wouldn't think of. We can we can go do right, and and that was part of why we started down the sustainability path. Is we we saw an opportunity for us to go lead, mm -hmm. um, and we saw that our customer base was 
pretty altruistic. Mm-hmm. We're we're sitting across the table from from some you know mid twenties guys that are executives at some of the biggest tech companies in the world, and we're within a couple percent of all of our competitors on pricing. So what else can we do that that makes you want to come do business with us? And this was one of them. Right. It was they they actually look across the table and they say, okay, these are people that actually share our values, can help us hit our goals, and it's valuable to us. Um, to do business with them instead of somebody else because of what they're doing, right. and that that was you know one of the big contributors for us. Yeah. It was n- not only do we do we feel a, a great responsibility to do good by the world mm-hmm. um, and and care for our environment, but it's it's also just a great business decision, right? Right. So how did it get started? So the CEO comes up and says, "Hey, yeah." Stop doing this thing, yeah. at, which has happened to me on more than one occasion. Yeah. Uh, sometimes my idea." Which then I love it. Sometimes yeah. not my idea, which then is terrifying. But he comes and he says, "Look, we're all in. Um, you know, he's captured your attention, captured your heart. You're like, okay, let's go do it. So, how do you do it? How do you get yeah. started? Yeah. So at that point, I was a team of one. I was uh, energy and sustainability. I was the only one in the entire company. Right? No team, no nothing. And um, we had a, a, a former sea uh, uh, level." Um, uh, chief revenue officer who was over marketing and said, yeah, this is something we got to go do. I understand right. the importance here. And he threw at me the entire weight of the most incredible marketing organization on the planet mm. right in front of me and right. said, these guys are going to help you. Go do it. And so we just we got together with four or five of the marketing folks and came up with a strategy and said, well, what do we want our goals to be? How do we how do we lead in a way that um, makes sense for the business and makes sense for our customers? What? How do we want to message this? And we just sort of got together and decided: here's our our five base goals, um, and and this is how we're going to go out and start talking about it. And they started signing me up to go speak at conferences and write white papers and do do all kinds of stuff. Just get messaging out there, right? Um, and they were, you know, writing on LinkedIn and, you know, j- just getting that really cool message out there because of what they did, mm-hmm. it allowed our program to move forward really fast and, and really put us out into a lead position very quickly. And so we got, you know, all kinds of awards. We got, um, number one in Gresb and, um, we got CDP ranking us as an A. We got, we got all, all what kinds are those of those organizations. Yeah. Sorry. So Gresb is um, they're, they're sort of ratings agencies okay. that talk about um, how good of a sustainability program do you have. Hmm. Gresb is very focused on real estate. Um, CDP, the Carbon Disclosure Project, is uh, is really based on all industry and and talks about your transparency. And um, and then there are other groups out there, Sustainalytics and MSCI and and some others that that really are just out gleaning data and and, and reporting it out. So we started doing really well with those. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't long after that that a lot of our competition started saying, "Oh wait, we need to go catch up." And so they started getting serious about it as well, which we were thrilled about. Sure, quite honestly, to be able to to lead industry into a path that is good for society, great, love it. Right. Let's let's go all share our our knowledge here and, and do good in the world. Right. Well, when you say we, yes, there are some here at we that we're excited, but I guarantee you the people that are responsible for selling, I'm not sure, I don't want to put words in their mouth that they, um, that they shared your enthusiasm because it's a, you know, 
it was a great uh, way to say, look, we're at the forefront of this. And uh, we're one of the, for a period of time, we were the only ones that were doing it. One of the things that, um, and so they will, I'm sure, publicly say, I'm just teasing my sales uh, compatriots. Publicly, they'll say, oh, it's a great thing. We're all, you know, this is great for everybody. And probably, probably, doggone it, I loved it when we were the only ones <laughs> doing this. But um, one of the things that I loved, and I knew we were, not just that you were serious, but that we were really serious as an organization, was when we put together a formal ESG if you, um, you know, the real governance around the program and then began publishing it. Can you explain what an ESG is and why it's important? Yeah, the ESG report. Yeah. yeah. So it's a it's a document, um, a, a structured document that talks about all of your sustainability programs and, you know, things that you're doing out in the world that are good, good for society. And in a very structured format, gives transparency and, and a window into your organization. How do you how do you run your organization? How do you how do you do this in a um, fiscally responsible way and in a socially responsible way at the same time? And so it it fits into this environment. ESG is environmental, social, and governance, mm. and so that covers uh, environmental is things like energy, water, waste, things that you you, you do good for the environment. Mm -hmm. um, Social is going to be things like charitable contributions, um, philanthropic activities, things like that, and then governance is is how you how you run your business financially and and have ethical business practices and things like that. Right. So you started off as an army of one. Yeah. You're bigger than an army. Maybe you're a platoon now, or at least a squad. <laughs> a so bit, yeah. how how has because we've had so much success in this area? How's your team grown? What are the different disciplines that are part of that organization? What does that look like now? Yeah, well, I mean, a year ago, I was still an army of one. Um, and it was shortly after that that we recognized that um, it was really the, the growth of the company has exploded since since uh, Blackstone has taken us private. Right. And so part of that was we're ramping up all over the place, and one of them has to be energy and sustainability. And, and now I, I manage environmental health and safety as well. Mm. Um, so we did hire somebody who is uh, who is an expert in environmental health and safety. Bill Nichols, great guy. You're mm. gonna you'll probably want to do a podcast with him because okay. he's awesome. Okay. Um, Megan Hoffmeyer is one of those amazing um, marketing folks that that really helped seed and start the program. She came over and joined my team as the director of sustainability, um, and then we started this energy group. And so this is a little bit of a different. Subject here, a little bit mm -hmm. of a different topic has to do sure. with the, the growth of, of QTS. Right. Um, so we had a, a pretty steady growth curve for the company, putting a couple buildings in the ground, filling them up, um, and it was somewhat manageable. Right. Um, and then uh, and then Blackstone came around and said, "Boy, we like what you guys are doing. We want you to grow a whole lot faster than that." Right. And so now we've got. Um, boy, 26 major projects in 18 new markets, and it was not at all sustainable to have one guy doing all that, yeah. right? So we hired um, hired a guy, uh, and he hired a team as well, and so we ended up uh, with a director and then uh, five guys under him that are project managers that are purely just building the infrastructure. So you imagine a data center that is going to use 100, 200, 400 megawatts and quite honestly, we're now doing gigawatt-sized campuses. Right. Massive, unbelievable amounts of infrastructure. And utilities look at this and they're like, we don't know what to do with this. Right. We have to build substations on site. Some of them are multiple substations on a site. We, we uh, route transmission lines in. Um, there's a lot of work. There's 
two to three years worth of work that goes in before we can actually put buildings in place. Right. And so there's a team that now specifically focuses on that, getting that process moving forward before we actually start building buildings. Um, and then in conjunction with those five guys, um, after you build the buildings and put everything in place, and even a little bit before, it sort of overlaps a little bit, there's an energy team. There's guys that are responsible for deciding how do we buy energy? We buy so much energy. It's not like just you know paying your utility bill at your house. It is we go out to the market and we're actually buying wholesale power. Um, we're sleeving contracts. We're doing special renewable contracts. We're doing lots and lots of complicated stuff. Right. And so we got a couple of guys that are really focused on, on the complexity of buying energy for our facilities. And so now we've got this team of a total of seven real workers and a couple of us managers who, who just, you know, kind of watch them work. Do you ever just sit back and laugh? I mean, you, if you imagine back in 2018 or say 2016, you have a pretty significant size. Today it seems modest, a 20 megawatt yep. load, yep. so probably a 30-ish plus megawatt all-in uh, facility. Um, I know Atlanta Metro at the time was probably a little bit, certainly had greater, you know, uh, 80 plus megawatt capability, but probably not dissimilar in um, uh, consumption. At the time, we thought these suckers were were big, and here we are, six years later, and it, it, we're just chuckling at sort of this dual things. It's 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 mind blowing and terrifying in my mind at the same time. Because we have a tremendous amount of responsibility. You're building infrastructure. In some cases, some of our campuses, our newest campus, that um, is intended to get to 1,000 megawatts plus, 1,200 megawatts, whatever. Mm -hmm. And we don't think this is the only one. We think this is going to be in um, the next normal thing that happens in the data center world. And that's a pretty significant thing, not just from energy, but all of the components coming in it. You're building a medium-sized city, essentially, in terms of capacity. Um, and so you've got all that responsibility. And sometimes I look at that and I just chuckle and I think, I would have never have imagined we could have done this. And I wonder what it would be like in five years from now, what that's going to look like, or 10 years. Um, and th But the responsibility to get it right, this is not insignificant capital. It's not insignificant environmental impact. It's not insignificant... Um, uh, resources of people and talent and uh, you, know, you can affect a community around you that's going to work in and service these sites for generations potentially. So it is a, it's a pretty spectacular opportunity. Do you ever sit back sometimes and just say, I, I don't know what you would say. Like, I can't even believe I'm in the middle of this. It's huge responsibility, isn't it? Um, you know, when we, we think about 1,000 megawatts, and by the way, we'll have somewhere between 8 and 12 of those in the United States that are more than a gigawatt. Yeah. And um, our CEO's guts to go out and say, we are going to lead this, we are going to have access to infrastructure like nobody else is, is part of what is the explosive growth of this company. Yeah. And it is... I, I, I give him so much credit for having the guts that he does. Yeah. Um, but yeah, going into a community like that and putting um, an asset in the ground that's that enormous, um, not only you think about how 
that equipment, that asset needs to be supported by the surrounding community. But upstream of that, there's a whole supply chain of utility that um, most people can't wrap their brains around. We were just just yesterday, you and I were at the Vogel Nuclear Power Plant, yeah. and they're bringing reactors three and four online. One of those reactors is what is needed for our data center. Yeah. Holy cow. I, it, 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 let's just pause for a second. That yeah. site, on the one hand, um, the scale was incredible. Like, it was incredible. But I made myself laugh because on the one hand, as I'm looking around, I'm like, eh. I mean, there's some concrete buildings and there's this giant tower. And, you know, other than scale, it didn't seem spectacularly complex. Like, if we're in one of our data centers with all the conduit, the art of the conduit they do, yep. I see this wild complexity and these things. And so this is because I'm spectacularly ignorant. It doesn't seem wildly complex. And 400 feet over there, they're splitting atoms. You know, you're like, mm -hmm. this is, it's it's just mind-blowing, awe-inspiring. You know, and let, let's pull on that nuclear thread a little bit. Yeah. Because it, it relates to the conversation we were just having about these gigawatt-sized campuses, <clears throat> right? We, um, as a as an enormously growing data center, have come to recognize recently that we'll go into new markets, um, and, and we're going to go in with these big, huge data centers that take a lot of base load off of the grid. And base load is when you, um, you you generate power in a very flat way. You take power away in a very flat way. There's no not a whole lot of up and down of that, mm -hmm. right? Um, so nuclear is very good at that. Actually, coal is very good at that. Um, hydroelectric is very good at that. Things like solar, wind um, are not. They're, they're intermittent resources. So when the wind's blowing and when the sunshine, it's generating and then it's not, and then it's generating and it's not. And so you have this sort of sine wave curve of, of power coming onto the grid and going off the curve. We recognize very much that we're taking away baseload, very stable capacity for the grid. Mm -hmm. And then when we go into this market and sign a power purchase agreement with a solar or wind facility, we're then replacing that base load with an intermittent um, resource, an intermittent generation load. And when we do that, it, uh, it reduces the stability of the grid. There's a lot of conversation about you know, rolling blackouts and, and uh, the grid not being able to keep up with, uh, with supply. And, and it's... Um, it's exasperated by us doing exactly that. And we recognize that by going in, taking baseload off, putting intermittent back on, we're, we're part of the problem. Mm. And, and so because of that and a couple other factors, we have started to shift. And I think as an industry as well have started to shift our thinking about, about renewables mm. and how – if we're going to really keep our eye on the ball, which is carbon-free, it's mm -hmm. not necessarily renewable, it's carbon-free. Mm -hmm. um, we need to be much more accepting of large-scale hydro and nuclear mm -hmm. until we can solve the storage problem that takes those wind and solar resources and turns them into a flat baseload. Mm -hmm. Once that storage solution is there, okay. Let's right. go back and make sure that we're taking really good advantage of it. It's a great, great concept. But until that time, I think we're outpacing our ability for the grid to be able to absorb all of the intermittent resource that we're asking for. By way of context, when you first started the organization, 
um, we set up some, not just first in the industry, but pretty robust uh, goals on how we were going to approach renewable energy. And, and actually, I say renewable energy. It wasn't renewable energy. It was reducing or eliminating carbon as we as we were purchasing, you know, being good stewards of, of buying power. Um, what were those first goals and, and how are we adjusting them? Yeah. So, well, there's, there's a couple of things there. So we were 100% renewable by 2025, and that was primarily solar and wind. I mean, you could you can throw in there some biofuel stuff, and you know, if you can if you can find some geothermal or something like that, you can throw that in there as well. But it's mostly solar and wind. Yeah. And so we came into this saying 100% of our load that we pull off of the utility is going to go to renewable, and we were on a path to to do that. Mm -hmm. um, as the industry started to grow up, the co-location industry especially, we started to recognize that we have big clients that are out there and they have their own goals. And, and, and when they go out and report their emissions, they're taking the power that we buy and deliver to them mm -hmm. and counting it as their emissions. Mm -hmm. We're taking the power that we buy and deliver to them as our emissions. We were double counting. Oh. And so both of us were out there buying renewables to offset this. And... Um, and so now we've we've come to the realization that we probably shouldn't be double counting because right. it it doesn't doesn't make a lot of sense. And right. so we're we're reconciling that. That's one big big change. Um, and then the other that was a double count was that the utilities themselves have standards that they have to meet. So they're out procuring and supplying carbon free and renewable energy and delivering it directly to us. Mm -hmm. We weren't counting that. Mm -hmm. We were out. 100% of all of the power they sell to us, we were out offsetting with with voluntary renewables. And so there's there's two categories there where we end up double counting. Mm -hmm. And I think the entire industry was 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 doing that and has now come to recognize that that's probably not accurate. Right. We probably need to go step back and really just each of us take our own piece here and put it put scope 1 where it needs to be, scope 2 where it needs to be and scope 3 where it needs to be. And so right. that's one of the adjustments that we're making. And the other is like we talked about um, rather than it having to be 100% solar and wind, we're, we're really focused on, on carbon-free. Right. And, uh, and how do we make sure that we're... So it's still PPAs just with um, we're, we're buying not just uh, renewable or even primarily um, uh, intermittent power sources, but it is we're, we're, we're designating these towards um, either hydro or uh, nuke or... Am I not understanding that correctly? Yeah, we haven't signed any agreements with them yet, but okay. we we likely will in okay. the future. Yeah, when you're talking about storage, um, a couple of years ago, I had uh, Professor Donald Sadaway on at MIT, really interesting guy, and he, he had a pretty provocative statement. Um, he also did a TED talk on it, which is there's no such thing as green energy without grid level or utility level storage. Of course, you're like, what? You know, everybody then jumps in, and it's a it's clickbait. I love it. He's a pretty smart guy. He is 100% on board with the idea of carbon-free energy. He's not nuke over anything. He's a big proponent of intermittent, but he is also, a, you know, a, a mathematician, a scientist, a chemist. And he's like, look, here's, to your point earlier, these things by definition are intermittent. If there's a if there's a um, application where intermittent primarily solves a problem. This is great. He's not advocating for more uh, fossil fuel or whatever. But he is saying that we're whistling in the dark, I think my words, 
if we don't have real grid level storage. His solution to that is liquid metal, but whether that's the right solution or whatever, we've got to have significant amount of storage. And me being me, I went out onto the web the other day and just did some web searching. So we know how accurate the web can be. So if anybody gets violently opposed and wants to send me additional numbers, no need. This is just my my quick purview. But in uh, in my search, it said, um, non-chat GPT search, it said that uh, um, the average power consumption per hour at the, at the time of this report was uh, right at 3.9 terawatt. So I was like, well, what, what is that? That's about th- almost 4 million gigawatts. I'm sorry, per year, per year, per year, gigawatts uh, per year. So I wanted to get that down into a hourly number. So there's 8,700 some odd hours in a year. Divided into that number means we're right at uh, high 400s, maybe 500 gigawatts per hour that we consume. And at the time of this article, we have about 11 gigawatts of storage, battery storage built total. That's not per hour, that's total. So into a 488, and I got to believe it's larger than that now, gigawatt per hour need, we have a total available of 11 somewhere in the US, some number of locations in the US, so not all equally distributed. Um, There seems to be a pretty big disparity there between this idea of renewable or intermittent rather um, energy and the ability to have storage, much less the consequences, which I don't know that we need to dive into, but of mining the resources to build, you know, the various battery. And I think they were all lithium ion. I don't know that for sure. This was not, I'm, that, that's not true. Some of it was, um, oh, whatever the storage is. The pumped hydro. Pump, thank you. Pumped yeah. hydro yeah. storage. So, but regardless, it was this really fascinating um, realization of, oh, yeah, I see what he's talking about now. And how do we get there to get enough capacity. There's only so many places we can do pumped hydro. I've had guests on here before that have proposed using it with uh, blocks. They have a block system. There are a variety of ways that they're approaching storage. And so the storage conversation is ongoing, but it doesn't look like um, we have a immediate fix or even a near-term fix for the storage that we're gonna need to be on primarily intermittent, much less per hour. Like that wasn't 11 gigawatts you know, so for five, you'd need, I'm just going to round it up to 500 because it's easier. If we wanted 12 hours of ride through, that's 6,000 gigawatts or six terawatts of capacity to ride through just for 12 hours for our grid. No, we wouldn't need that because we don't need the whole grid necessarily unless Godzilla attacks us to, to carry through. But still, it's not insignificant. Yeah, it's an insane amount of storage requirement. You think about the football fields full of batteries. If you're doing battery storage on a utility scale, right? Um, mind-boggling. There isn't enough lithium on the planet to be right. able to do that. And it's um, recognized, understood. We do think that lithium batteries are a good temporary solution. Right. Um, I, I think anybody who's serious about energy storage recognizes that's not the ultimate solution. There's something else out there. I am not smart enough to tell you what it is. Right. Um, but the scale and magnitude is just mind-blowing. Yeah. And when you think about – boy, I, I, I'm going to butcher these numbers. But I, I think the 
global renewable percentage is like 2% mm. right now. It, it, it Incredibly small. As much as you think, you drive around and you see these massive wind farms and you see big solar farms and you see all this going on and all this investment, it is pretty small yeah. compared to the amount of energy that we use in the world. Yeah. Um, and to get that to where it needs to be, um, I just, I, I can't see how we get there in time. Right. And so, so that's why we shift towards something that's um, a, a little better known, like like hydro and and nuclear. Yeah. And and I think I think we as a society need to embrace nuclear uh, much more than we we currently do. And, and yeah. uh, when we solve that the the storage problem, I think we can we can make great strides in making a lot more renewable available. It's either that, or we all accept the fact that our power is going to shut off intermittently. Right. And I, and I don't think we're ready to do that. At least not in the United States, we're not. Yeah. Or we start, you know, what we keep being told is consume less, consume less. I don't know how we consume less. We're IOTing every medical facility there is because of the benefits we get from smart tech and helping human beings survive and live and flourish. I mean, we love to pick on the, you know, sort of the um, casual and, and, silly uses of technology that consume us. Maybe we don't need to stream as many shows or whatever. But what if we're funding things that uh, imaging is is having a, a huge, huge breakthrough. And when we're applying AI to looking at um, imaging, coming alongside radiologists, and just, you know, just the rapid progression there of diagnosing quickly disease and um, either things that are forming or whatever, how do we tell them to, you know, stop consuming power, to, to use less as the images get more detailed, more capable, which means they get larger in size, like in all of these ways. I mean, this is the human progress, much less going to other communities around the globe and saying, hey, we know you want to get out of poverty, but we don't, we don't want to, um, we don't want to build facilities in your area that are going to consume all this. Like it, it just doesn't seem like it's a, um, a sustainable conversation. Yeah, it, it is interesting. There was a, t a time period, gosh, I think it was 2017 to 2020, maybe, maybe 21, where there actually was a decrease in in energy consumption in the United States. And it was um, really it was kind of promising. We thought, boy, this is this is pretty cool. And yeah, you know, so everybody's putting LED lights in, they're driving less because COVID, they're doing you know, whatever. Right. Um, and I and I think that's that's kind of ramped back up at this point. Yeah. Back to a little bit. So there's a flat spot there. Yeah. Uh, but it's ramping up. And we certainly know in the data center world, it is a huge exponential curve where you mentioned this earlier where you said, you know, it used to be that a three megawatt deal was pretty huge. Right. And and now it's well known more like a hundred megawatt deal is pretty yeah. it's pretty good size. And it's um, you know, these are the people, these are the organizations that are tied, I mean, whether it's a government organization or uh, tech firms or just industry in general, as as the whole world digitizes, insurance, banking, what pick one, pick any industry, um, which is exponentially more efficient and more valuable um, and messy and all the other things that come along with it. Uh, it requires uh, it requires more power. Not to mention, there's so many conversations about electrifying. Uh, exponentially transportation. more transportation, exponentially yeah. more things. Um, it just requires more 
more power. You know, um, at least that's the that's the case. If you tease that out and say less, um, in some cases they want a less uh, natural gas or whatever. I don't know how that works, but like, if you just run that to its logical conclusion, well, that's more electricity generated over here if we're not using natural gas or we're diminishing that, which I don't think is going to be possible. But whatever it is, however it plays out. Um, we need to be we need to be great stewards of that uh, of those solutions. One of the other things that I think is really interesting, while data and consumption has grown, energy consumption um, in terms of uh, uh, you know, if you went back ten years ago and said for every this amount of data, this amount of energy was needed to create that data, while the data has exploded and energy consumption has grown, they're not at the same ratio. We have become exponentially more efficient. And I'm not trying to declare victory. I'm just saying there's a lot of really smart people working on that efficiency quotient. As as this, our appetite grows over here in data, we are working diligently on um, efficiency in the energy space. Yeah, no question. We can only get so efficient as far as um, like PUE. So so we can get a little bit more efficient when it, when it comes to removing heat from the process. But where it really makes a difference is when the guys that are super smart and they're coming up with the the chips that are doing the processing, if they do more processing with less power, right? That's what makes a huge difference. Yeah. And so they be right that that that's made uh, huge strides in the last decade. Yeah. One of the parts of your job is to go out and talk a lot about not just who we are, QTS, and what we're doing, but just your world in general. What are some of the things that you talk about when you're out on the road that you share with people? Besides some of the things that we've talked about, like what are the, what are the big ideas, or what are some of the future things that are resonating with um, with the audience? Well, I will say, you know, this whole concept of data centers getting enormous and utilities being able to support them is a is a big topic, right? And and how do we support them in a sustainable way? And I, I um, unfortunately, we're a little ways away from it, but I do see on site nuclear probably happening at some point with the small modular reactors it's probably going to happen in europe before it happens in the united states and yeah. it's going to happen in canada before the united states um why is that why would it be there before here do you think oh we just have a lot more regulation mm. yeah we're we're super super safe about uh about how we manage um nuclear um and i i'm let me take that back i'm not going to say that, that the other countries are not but i um it feels like they have a more streamlined process than we do yeah that's interesting. The irony to me of GDPR, super, super restrictive on privacy. We are nowhere near that privacy restriction here, although we take privacy seriously. We're just, uh, we're not, you know, those, uh, that, that it feels more um, restrictive and it's really impacted the the tech world in terms of data privacy, et cetera. When it comes to uh, uh, this regulation, um, I, but I could see their urgency. I mean, there's stuff going on in Eastern Europe right now. A lot of it is tied to um, energy independence. You know, if I, yeah. I, if I, if I can be independent of my neighbors and maintain my own economy through self-generation, why wouldn't I want to do that? Well, and it it almost has to happen at some point because the the utilities can't keep up with the growth in in data centers, and so yeah. I, I think something has. To, now, let me make sure I back off and say QTS is not likely ever going to run a nuclear plant. We're going to partner with somebody who knows right. how to do that, and right. you know, on this piece of land that's right next to ours, we're gonna we're gonna have some some right. generation there, and somebody else will do that. Yeah, it's um, as I said before, Anna Erickson's been on the show. She's talked about. 
the differences of the different types of deployments of these things. And um, she's coming on again. We've got some other uh, people in energy that are pretty smart in this area, and they talk about the differences in safety and whatever. It seems uh, – I love the conversation. It seems like um, – it is a it is a conversation that's long overdue long overdue to get back out in front of the public and let's just let's voice our concerns let's um, uh, let, let's work through it as logically as we can and whatever the right solution is for our communities let's do that whatever that looks like yeah yeah because the alternative is all of the coal-fired retirements that are that are on the books at this point are starting to get pulled back and mm. there's if we're not going to go be um, responsible about this we're going to continue to have some dirty burning coal facilities right. well what haven't we talked about that we should have in our last few minutes here hmm. um boy what haven't we talked about i don't know i think we've i think this is a good catch-up we're right. in a good spot Thanks for coming on the show. What's next for you? What's next in y'all's world that we should know about? Um, well, you know, we are we are working on some strategies to sort of share resources with um, uh, with renewable developers. Um, a big part of uh, of building a renewable facility is connecting it to the grid, and a big part of building a data center is connecting it to the grid. And mm -hmm. so, if we can find ways to um, to share that resource and be able to sort of absorb that intermittent resource with the grid and, and use our resources to do that. Well, we're going to try to do that. And um, so we'll see. Maybe there's some fancy stuff coming out of that too. Well, I can't wait till we see some of these giant developments uh, coming to fruition. If people want to find more, I know you publish articles on occasion. Um, you speak regularly. If people want to get connected with you, how do they do that? Uh, well, you can certainly uh, email me at travis.wright at qtsdatacenters.com. Okay. Um, and then uh, look for me out on the speaking stage. I'm going to be at um, Dice Southwest next week. I'd okay. like to be speaking there. Yeah. All right. Travis Wright, thanks for coming on the QTS Experience. All right. Thank you, sir. If you enjoyed the conversation, like it. And if you loved it, subscribe. We'll see you next time, everybody, on the QTS Experience. Take care.